It literally reads, keep in memory. Keep in memory. And the inference of this command, for it is a command to remember or to keep in memory, is that the believer who is facing persecution or hardship, suffering, whatever it might be, is to keep certain facts, certain matters in mind and to keep them in his memory or her memory. In other words, there are certain things that we're not to let slip when we're in the context of suffering and trial and difficulty. And there are three facts from the verses 8 through to 10 that I want to really bring to your attention tonight. Three matters that we are to keep in mind, that we're not to forget, that we are to remember. And I believe as we look at them, the Lord will use these thoughts just to stir up our minds and enable us to press on in the work of God as we remember certain things. Number one, keep the Savior in your mind. It says in verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And it's very obvious that he's saying to Timothy, keep the Savior in your mind. Now this becomes clear in this full statement in verse number 8. In the opening words of this paragraph, the focus is on the Savior immediately. And as we will see, Paul speaks of himself in this paragraph, and for a certain reason, we'll get to that now a little after this point. But first of all, he focuses on the Savior, and he urges Timothy to remember certain matters concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are to keep the Savior in mind. And what are we to think about? What are we to have in our minds as we think about Jesus Christ? Well, in a sense, that would be endless in terms of all the material that we could have before us and on which we could reflect and on which we could ponder as we think of what Paul says here. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. But those are the words that are here in this verse. And therefore, we're actually shown what we are to remember about Christ. And under that main heading, keep the Savior in mind, there are three matters I want you to look at with me concerning what we are to remember about Christ. Remember that he is the redeeming Savior. The redeeming Savior. It says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. That could be read uh, that Jesus Christ was raised from among the dead. Literally, that's how it reads. And so what we find here is that the Lord's suffering is in view. His death is in view. And for a time he lay among the dead. Having accomplished redemption on the cross and finished the work, he then was buried and he lay among the dead for a time. And so there's a reference here to the redeeming Savior. Now, look at the title. It says, Remember that Jesus Christ. As I read through this little epistle today or yesterday evening and then this morning again, I noticed that seven times in the book of Second Timothy, you have the title Christ Jesus. And then twice, you have the title Jesus Christ. So why the variation? Well, let me try to explain that to you. 
When you have it here, as you have it here in verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ. It doesn't say, remember that Christ Jesus. It says, remember that Jesus Christ. When you think about it that way and see it that way as it's written there, well, Paul's desire is to turn Timothy's mind first to the historical fact that Jesus Christ, the redeeming Savior, came under the curse as a result of which he was revealed to be the Messiah, the Christ. And that's why it's written that way. You see, the name Jesus is the name that was given to the Lord when he was born. It's the name that was given to him with regard to what he had come to do and what he would suffer and what he would experience with regard to all that men poured upon him, all the contempt, all the ridicule, all of the different forms of suffering right through to his death on the cross. And in all of that, he's referred to as Jesus. That name is the name that really is linked to the Lord's humanity. And it was in his humanity that he died. And by his suffering and his humanity, he was actually then declared to be the Messiah, which is the name and uh, the meaning of the name Christ. In other words, he was seen to be the Messiah because of what he suffered as Jesus. Now think about that, because the Old Testament had predicted that the Lord would be born, that the Messiah would come. And when he had come into the world, he would suffer deeply. He would be rejected of men. All of that was revealed in the Old Testament about the promised Messiah. But when he would uh, suffer all of this and be revealed as being the actual Messiah, it was predicted that the Messiah would suffer, then he would be rewarded uh, for his suffering by that recognition that this is truly the Messiah. This is the one who was promised. This is the one whom God sent. And that's why the other form of those two names is Christ Jesus, because there he's in view as the Messiah who suffered. Here it is, the one who suffered and was revealed as the Messiah. And so I just explained that to you. If you turn to Acts 2 and look at verse number 36 for a moment, notice what is said there. Uh, in that particular text, Acts 2 and verse number 36. It says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. There's a name with regard to his humanity and his humiliation and his suffering. Acts 2, 36. God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. And so you can see it clearly coming out in that particular text. So as Jesus Christ, in his suffering, he lay among the dead and he was under the curse, under the stroke of the law, under all the power of death for a time. And therefore we are to remember that. We are to remember our redeeming Saviour as he came under the curse for us, as he suffered the penalty of the law for us. When you face your trials, when you face your difficulties, when you face your Gethsemanes and your crosses, you always remember your redeeming Savior because he went through far, far more than you ever did or ever will. And he suffered beyond our imaginations, even to try to contemplate. In John 15, 
If you'll turn to that for a moment. The Lord actually said something along these lines. When you remember what the Lord suffered, then you'll realize that your sufferings are really nothing in comparison. John 15 and verse number 18. And the Lord says this, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. You notice that? If the believer was like all other men and was a worldly person, well, the world would love that individual. But because we're not of the world, he goes on to say in verse 19, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Now, go back to Second Timothy and think about Timothy's situation. Never mind Paul's. We have outlined all the references to Paul's sufferings. But think about Timothy. Soon Paul will be gone. Timothy will be left on his own. And on him, Paul's mantle is going to fall. And he will suffer immensely. We don't have the detail in the scripture, but the, the premonition of it is here. Timothy is going to suffer immensely when God's servant Paul is gone. And therefore, Timothy is reminded by the apostle of his redeeming Savior who suffered for him. And he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you weigh your sufferings in the light of the cross. In the light of the reproach that the Lord Jesus felt and that he had to face and endure. Measure it all in that context. And that will encourage you and enable you to press on as you suffer for the Savior's sake, for the Savior's glory, for the Savior's gospel. You see, all the sufferings that come upon the church and upon the genuine child of God are because we are the Lord's. They are because of our union with him and because the world can't touch Christ anymore. They touch his people. They hate his people. And they despise his people and they pour their scorn and their ridicule and their persecution upon the Son of God. So we are to remember the redeeming Savior as we think about this command that we are to keep the Savior in mind. But then look again at this verse and I'll hurry here as quick as I can. Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.8 we are to remember the Savior by remembering that he not only is the redeeming Savior, but the risen Savior. The risen Savior. It says it, doesn't it? Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. Here is another detail that you're never to forget, that you're to keep in mind every day. Remember your Savior. Remember the redeeming Savior, remember the risen Savior. He says, this, Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. You know, I never thought about that verse before in any great detail along this particular line I want to mention now that what you have here is very, very much the same as you have in second, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4. I just noticed this and it struck me uh, in the study for this 
message tonight. First Corinthians 15, verse number 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Listen, if ye keep in memory, there it is again, keep something in memory, what I have preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture, is very, very similar to Second Timothy 2 and verse number 8. Christ dying, the redeeming Savior, and then the risen Savior, he's brought again from the dead. And so the point that Paul makes regarding the risen Savior is this, as he says to Timothy, keep this in mind, remember this, remember that the one who suffered for you is now alive. What's his point? Timothy, you are in union with the risen Christ. That's what he wants him to think about. Yes, we are in union with Christ in his death because we went to the tree with Christ our representative. You know, that's a very important doctrine. Union with Christ. And union with Christ in the cross. And therefore we can't forget the cross and, as I put it, the redeeming Savior. But neither can we forget the risen Christ because our union with Christ takes us to that, to that level of things where we are actually seen in union with him and we partake of his risen life. And so what's Paul saying here to Timothy? He's saying to this young man that nothing can separate you from the risen Christ. Your sufferings, your trials, your opposition that you will face or whatever it might be, all that the Lord's people face, in their earthly sojourning, none of that can sever us or can break that bond that we have with the one who was raised from among the dead. What a glorious and wonderful matter that is. And so, believer tonight, you are to remember the Savior and do so because he redeemed you, because he's risen for you. But then there's something else here before we leave this. Remember that he is the reigning Savior. The reigning Savior. Look at the verse once more. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ of the seed of David. We haven't noticed, we haven't paid any attention to that until now. But those words of the seed of David tell you that he is the reigning Christ. Now, throughout the Scriptures, uh, you will find that that expression, that phrase, the seed of David, is used multiple times. It emphasizes that Jesus Christ is the one who descended from David. Obviously, he's of the seed of David. He came from that particular family in the tribe of Judah. That is spelled out repeatedly in the Old Testament and here also, not only here, but throughout the New Testament. And so he came from that line uh, of physical descent from that particular house. But you see, it emphasizes more than that. It's exactly emphasizing that Jesus Christ is the rightful spiritual leader 
or sorry, spiritual seed of David, the rightful spiritual seed of David. In other words, he is David's glorious antitype in the sense that he sits on he sits enthroned on the throne of David. He actually does. If you read the last couple of chapters of First Chronicles, you'll find this amazing fact there that the throne of David is viewed as a spiritual throne. You know, those who will try to tell you that Jesus Christ is not reigning yet, that that's to happen in the future. But my Bible tells me he's already reigning. He's already on the throne of his father, David. Remember what was said to him, or said about him rather, when he was to be born? If you'll turn to Luke chapter 1, you will see it. It was actually said to his mother Mary. Luke chapter 1, whenever the announcement was being made about the coming Messiah and, and the birth of the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 1. And you have that all recorded, what was said to Mary from like verse 28 onwards. And go down to verse number 23 and notice what it says. Well, we'll read verse 32. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now that language has no time uh, limitation to it. He's reigning and his reign goes on and on and on. He's not going to reign for a certain period and then stop reigning. He's going to reign forever. But it says there that God would give him the throne of his father David. And he would reign forever. And so on as those, verses, those words show you there in Luke chapter 1. And what a marvelous statement this is. And my dear friend, what I want you to see from this is that as we suffer, as the church suffers they are to remember that it is Jesus Christ. Put it this way with regard to Timothy. Paul's saying, Timothy, you remember it's Jesus Christ, not Nero, who's reigning on the throne of heaven, who has been exalted to the right hand of the majesty in height. Not Nero, but Jesus Christ. As the seed of David, destined to reign. And where does he execute his reign? At the right hand of the majesty and high. That's who's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ. In Timothy's day, it wasn't Nero or whoever else you care to mention ever afterwards. Right down to the present day. Thank God, the one who's reigning doesn't sit in the White House. He doesn't sit in Westminster. He doesn't sit in the Vatican. That's one sure thing. And he doesn't sit anywhere else on this earth. He sits in heaven on that exalted throne that's referred to as the throne of his father David. Because the outcome of David's reign and David's throne is in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are to remember this. The reigns of the universe are in his hands. They are. Here we are tonight, hardly knowing what way our little country is going or where it's going to end up or whatever way you want to describe it. And therefore we must take to ourselves the comfort that in all the trials and difficulties of our day and time, 
we are to keep the Savior in mind. Our redeeming, risen, reigning Savior. Fill your mind with those truths every day. Fill your mind with those truths as you go to pray especially. When you get down to pray, where do you start? Well, I'll tell you where to start. You start by focusing on the living God who has revealed himself in this book. And you approach him through your redeeming, risen, reigning Savior. And if you do that, you will find there is no scarcity of material over which to pray. That's how we're to approach God always. Not rush into his presence, but come with these thoughts and these truths in our minds. We're told here to remember this. Don't forget this as you pray or as you live for the Lord every day. So we have to keep the the Savior in mind. Quickly now, keep the Scripture in mind. And we see this coming out in verse 9. It says, Paul goes on to say, When I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even on to bonds, then he makes this tremendous statement, but the word of God is not bound. He refers here to one of us, Personal afflictions, he was in bonds. He says it there. He says, I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Now, that does not mean that Paul actually was describing himself as an evildoer. He's referring to the allegation that was made about him, that he was an evildoer. That's how he was characterized. That's how he was looked on by the, uh, the ungodly of his day. This man's a bad man. He's an evildoer, this Paul. That was continually thrown against his name and against his character. And therefore, he was actually suffering as a result of those allegations were made against him. When all the time, of course, he was innocent. But you see, Paul willingly takes what comes to him. He says, I suffer trouble. Even as I'm described as an evildoer. He says, I'm in bonds. I'm incarcerated. He's lying in a dungeon. As he writes Second Timothy, and soon he will, he will pay the great price and his martyrdom. But he says, listen, the word of God is not bound. And we are to remember that, folks. We are to remember not only, we're not only to keep the Savior in mind, but we're to keep the Scripture in mind. That the word of God is not bound. Now, there are various applications of that. God will always have preachers. That's one thing. To continue the preaching ministry when others are gone. Paul will soon be dead. Does that mean that everything is going to collapse? That never again would there be preaching in that day? No, of course it does not mean that. And Timothy, in the immediate context, is the man... As you come into chapter 4, what does Paul say to him? Timothy, preach the word. My day's up, but you keep on preaching. And the whole point is, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, there always will be preachers. There always will be men raised up by God. You know, the Lord says in Acts 14 that he never left himself without witness. I know that's a statement in in terms of what's called common grace. God never left himself in this world without a witness. I just take the words in a general way. 
Never has there been a time in the history of this world since the fall of man when there were no preachers, no prophets, no preachers. That, that time never actually came. There always have been God's spokesmen, God's proclaimers, those who went forth with the word of God because you cannot bind up the word of God. There cannot come a day when there will be no proclamation of it. It will just not be. It will never come to that. And that's a great encouragement, isn't it? Keep the scripture in mind because the preaching ministry will continue even when others are gone. And we think of all the preachers down through time, the great preachers. And, and there, there are those illustrious names that stand out in church history. And we all are aware of them, the, the Puritans and before that again the Reformers and then some back in the... In the dark ages altogether, there were great men of God in those times, right away back and right down to our day. The only ones we really know are those, as I say, the illustrious ones who stood out for God in a remarkable way because of how he blessed them. But let me tell you, my dear friend, there were thousands of other preachers whom we know nothing about. Thousands of them. And thank God there are still men across the world who are preaching because the word of God is not bound. And whatever role you have in proclaiming the word of God, you are a preacher. It may be giving out tracts, you're preaching. It may be just speaking to your neighbor, you're preaching. Teaching your Sunday school class, involved in the children's work, the youth work, whatever. You are proclaiming the word of God, working like our brother Ryan there with the drug addicts and trying to guide them and, and lead them to the Savior. A very difficult work. But a man like this is proclaiming the truth. He's preaching. God is his servant's. And we're to remember that. You see, the, the, there always will be preachers. And furthermore, Paul's in prison, but the Word of God can't be imprisoned. You can't imprison the Word of God. The enemy had endeavored to bind the Word by putting Paul into jail. He was the preacher among all the preachers of that generation. So the thought, let's put Paul in jail and then preaching will cease. But you see, Paul says, the word of God is not bound. Satanic authorities do put men of God in prison. But as I said, they cannot imprison the word of God. The word of God triumphs. The word of God will perform its ordained mission on this earth. The word of God will not be put in chains or restricted in the sense that it will suddenly cease to be heard or cease to work or cease to operate. That day will never come. Never mind the fact that there never will be a day when there will be no preachers around. There never will be a day when the word of God will stop speaking. It's going to keep on speaking forever. Look at Paul's own testimony in chapter 4, verse 17. A marvelous verse. He says... 2 Timothy 4, 17. He's talking here about men who had forsaken them and all that sort of thing. In verse 16, he says, At my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. 
And Paul very graciously says, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. He's going back there. He's reminiscing. And he's making it absolutely clear that even when men did try to stop him in those days, they couldn't do it. The Lord delivered him. But you see, the point I'm making is, if every preacher on earth were put in jail, the word of God will keep on working. It will, it will, God in his sovereignty, God in his providence will make sure that the word gets out and goes wherever he wants it to go. You see, nobody's ever saved without the truth. And therefore, since God has purpose to save sinners in every nation, the truth will reach them. The truth will go to them. I remember when I, we were in America hearing a, a program on, on the radio, Christian radio station. Uh, if I have told this story before, forgive me because I am getting old, you know. Sometimes I repeat myself. But this man, this pastor was put in prison by the communists in one of the Eastern European countries. I can't remember whether it was Russia or wherever. It doesn't matter. And the authorities decided... And this is a true story. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you um, a load of nonsense. This is a true story. The authorities said, we will put this preacher into the cell where that man is who's insane. That insane man, that poor soul, had lost his mind. Couldn't speak. Could do nothing. Just sat there in total silence. So they put the preacher in there, believing if they put him in with that insane man, he will go insane. But you know, they made one big mistake. They let the pastor take his Bible with him. It said to themselves, well, he can't preach to anybody. This man doesn't understand anything. So he took his Bible with him, and he began to read the word of God to that insane man. And as he read, the man's sanity returned to him. And his mind was opened up. And he was gloriously saved. You cannot put the word of God in chains. It will work. It will operate, of course, under the Spirit's influence. And that's what happened. And so, keep the Savior in mind. Keep the Scripture in mind. And then finally... Keep the sufferer in mind. Because in verse 9, Paul does refer to his sufferings, as we've just noticed. But notice what he goes on to say in verse number 10. The context here is, is remarkable, where he talks about what he's suffering. And he's not talking about it just to get sympathy or to draw attention to himself. Here's what he goes on to say in verse 10. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sakes that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. His sufferings that he experienced, that he was enduring, they were for the elect's sakes. He was willing to suffer so that God's people, God's ordained people, those whom he had chosen and those whom he's going to save after this day would be reached and would be saved and gathered into Jesus Christ.
And we are to remember, therefore, to keep the sufferer in mind. But as you know, the Apostle Paul left a legacy that has repercussions to this very day. You think of what Paul suffered. Read 2 Corinthians 11. The catalog is there. It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing. It is astounding what that man suffered. And yet through his suffering, the world of his day was impacted and right through to our day, the church of Jesus Christ continues to benefit. All of this, of course, is under God and under Christ. But the church today is still benefiting from the legacy that Paul left. He was a theologian. He wrote the mighty epistles that deal with all the issues that we still have to deal with. He wrote the book of Romans in which he expounds justification. Then he wrote the book of Galatians in which he defends justification. Just as an example, he wrote 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great defense of the doctrine of the resurrection. We owe everything in terms of truth and theology and so on to the Apostle Paul, under God, I say. Therefore, we are not to forget that man. We are to remember the sufferer or to keep him in mind. And you know, the Bible tells us to do that anyway, even with those who aren't Paul's. Isn't it said in in, in Hebrews 13, remember those who are in bonds as being bound with them. You know, Paul is our brother. It's difficult for us just to see it that way, uh, that he actually is our brother. But there are many, many more who are brethren down through the ages who have left legacies too. And to this very day, there are believers suffering here, there, and yonder. And we're not to forget them. We're to remember them. And as we remember all these things, remember the Savior, or keep in memory the Savior, keep in memory the Scripture, keep in memory the sufferer, in that way, we have ample material over which to pray. As we think about our own day and the needs of the work of God, We'll leave it there tonight. The time is gone. May the Lord write his word in our hearts and use it to stir us up to lay hold on his name and to pray as he leads and guides. And uh, we'll just have a word of prayer and then we'll sing a verse or two of another hymn. Father in heaven, bless thy truth to our souls and be with us now as we sing and as we go on into the time of prayer. Remember thy servant who will bring the announcements and give help tonight. May the Lord come down. May the Spirit move. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.